Okay, in the early days of lockdown, we were unable to watch sport because there was no sport going on. And the BBC started to do news reports on different athletes and how they were coping during lockdown, unable to train. And there were some very um, ingenious ideas coming out. And I don't know if you remember, um, but we, we, we got to find out about the Jamaican bobsleigh team. And um, they were locked down here in England. And we saw pictures of them pushing a mini around a, a car park. And uh, they talked about the fact that they were finding ways of keeping fit and keeping up their regime of training. And then there was another time when they talked about Adam Peaty, the Olympic swimmer. Um, he's a gold medalist and a world record holder of the 100 meters swimmer. Um, and he bought and had installed in his garden a very small pool that enabled him to keep training, uh, despite the fact that he could no longer go and train in, his own, um, in, in, an, in a normal Olympic-sized swimming pool. What extraordinary lengths these people, these athletes went to, to keep persevering under really quite difficult circumstances as they sought to keep training. They wanted to stay on top of their game. I wonder what motivates them to, uh, to do that. Why they didn't think, well, I've got an opportunity for a bit of a, a laid-back time. I can put my feet up for a while. Well, I'm no athlete, as you well know, but I'm guessing that um, what's, it's what they've been given their life to, isn't it? They'd made the decision to be the best in the world, and nothing was going to stop them. I'm also guessing that they, they don't want to miss out on the prize that they're going for. They want gold, don't they? They've got a goal that they're going for, and they're focused on it. I'm wondering, too, if they just simply love what they do, and therefore, because it's so much part of who they are, they don't want to give up. Well, we're in the last week of our short series on Ordinary People, Extraordinary Mission. And today we're thinking about what it means to stand firm and to stick in. We have looked at how Jesus called Paul to stand up and speak, to be a witness, to tell his story. We've looked at him standing out and serving, sharing not only his words but his very life. And we've looked at him standing by and shining for Jesus, finding opportunities to deepen relationships around the table, as we heard last week, sharing Jesus with our friends. Well, today we're going to ask the question, what enabled Paul to stand firm and stick in at sharing his faith consistently and constantly throughout his whole life? As we look at Paul's testimony again in Acts today, we discover that he stays completely focused and faithful to the calling to witness, to serve and to shine for Jesus, despite all sorts of opposition that he faces, just like those athletes coming against what seemed like insurmountable problems and obstacles. He has that same drive as they had, that same determination to keep persevering and finding ways to share his knowledge and his love of Jesus. So we're going to read that passage together again. I want to begin by reading again Paul's encounter that he has with Jesus as he describes it to King Agrippa. So you can click, um, if you're on YouTube, on the Bible there, or if you have a Bible in front of you, do turn to Acts chapter 26, this fantastic story that we've been looking at um, over the last few weeks. And I want to begin reading again at verse 15. And this is um, Paul talking, or Saul as he was at that moment. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of, and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. 
I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it has not been done in a corner. King of Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice, and those sitting with them. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he'd not appealed to Caesar. We thank God for his word. Shall we pray together as we open God's word? Father God, we pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning, that we would be challenged again to serve you, to speak for you, to shine for you, to share your wonderful news with those who need to hear. Father, we pray that you would speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first of all, I'd like to encourage you, if you've never done it, to get yourself a cup of coffee and sit down with and read your way through the book of Acts. It's an amazing story of the early church, an amazing story of people like Stephen and Peter and Paul who share their faith and their love for God with others. So do, if you've never done it, take the time to to do that this week. If we take a quick glance back through the book of Acts, we find in chapter 9 that Luke recounts Saul as he was then, Paul's conversion, And he points out how Paul immediately starts to talk. He can't help himself about what has happened to him. Verse 20 of chapter 9 says, At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And then a few few verses later we discover that after many days had gone by, and I assume that that was with Saul, he just couldn't stop sharing what had happened to him. The Jews conspired to kill him. So he moves on. He doesn't give up. On to Jerusalem. And again, he speaks boldly in the name of the Lord. And again, after much debate, the Jews there tried to kill him. And if you go on through his missionary journeys, Paul continually speaking about his faith in the risen Lord Jesus. Wherever he is, Paul cannot stop sharing the story of how Jesus, the risen Jesus, has changed his life. Whatever the opposition, whatever the circumstances, he just doesn't stop. 
And as we listen to Paul's story just then, described uh, to King Agrippa, we have a couple of insights of, that help us to discover and, and, uh, and what enabled Paul to stand firm, to stick in. So I invite you, first of all, to look at verse 19. It says, So then, King Agrippa, says Paul, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. Paul was convinced of his calling. Paul had, in a moment, changed from a man who was seeking through his own power and recognition to obey the law to a man who was completely and utterly submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ. If Jesus was risen from the dead and standing there in front of him, then he must be the Christ. And Paul realized that he had only one response, to fall at Jesus' feet, confess his sins, and follow him. In that moment, Paul discovered the freedom that comes from allowing Jesus to be king and lord of his life. Paul discovered purpose and meaning as he discovered the call of God on his life to share the good news of Jesus and to show that wonderful love, mercy and grace that God had shown him. And if you look in in Acts chapter 20, Paul's talking to the Ephesian elders. He says, however, I consider, consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of grace. His vision of Jesus compelled him to action and obedience, to stand firm despite all sorts of trouble and opposition. Well, Paul had a very specific call, didn't he, at one level? And not many of us have such an amazing, dramatic encounter with Jesus in that way. And we don't have stories to tell of visions that we've seen where where Jesus has spoken to us maybe so clearly. However, we do all have a calling that we we received when we accepted Jesus into our hearts and lives. When we submitted to Jesus' rule for him to be the boss, we gave up our right to choose what we do with our lives. We gave up our right to choose our own path. As disciples of Jesus, ordinary people like Paul, we have that same calling to go and make disciples of all nations. We too have been commissioned to be God's witnesses. We too have been called to be salt and to be light, to be part of that extraordinary mission that Paul was called to as well, to show God's love to the world. And it seems to me that it's his deep grasp of his calling, of that invite to that extraordinary mission that that held Paul steady and firm in the face of the difficulty and the opposition that he faced. Because for Paul to have wavered would have been to be disobedient to the call on his life. And because of that, he chose to follow Jesus. And stopping talking about Jesus just wasn't an option for him. So I guess the question for us this morning is, are we convinced? Are you convinced of that call on your life as a Christian to share your story of what God has done in your life? That you, ordinary you and ordinary me, have not only been invited into a relationship with the living God through Jesus, but we've been invited to be part of the most exciting, life-giving, fulfilling, purposeful adventure of joining God in this extraordinary mission of love. 
Well, Paul, we know, was a gifted orator, wasn't he? He was a brilliant speaker. And we don't all have Paul's gifts of words. But I wonder what's your strength? What's my strength? What can we use to share the gospel, to shine for Jesus, to enable those conversations to happen? As we were challenged last week, where is our table in our lives that God is asking us to invite people to? Perhaps as the lockdown now eases, there are unique opportunities for us all to speak of our hope in Jesus in these uncertain times. But this leads me on to to my next point, because Paul stood firm and stuck at his mission, not only because he was convinced of his calling to do so, but he was confident of his story. Paul knew the truth that he had to share, and he kept coming back to it right through that conversation with King Agrippa and the others who were listening. If you go back to verse 8, Paul says, God raised Jesus from the dead. Verse 15, the risen Lord Jesus, he says. Verse 18, Jesus opens the blind eyes to his truth. Verse 23, but Christ would suffer and die and rise again. Paul's focus constantly on the resurrection of Jesus and the impact that has had on his life. This is the truth that Paul holds on to. This is the truth that has transformed him. So Paul knows the challenge of standing firm in this truth, even when it's rejected. He knows the challenge of persecution, the reality of standing firm, even when it's far from easy. And so in his letters, as Paul wrote many of the letters in the, Old Test- and the New Testament, there's this recurring theme from Paul about pleading with his readers to stand firm, especially when they face opposition. So just two very brief examples. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Paul says, Stand firm then, let nothing move you. In chapter 16 of, of 1 Corinthians, he, he warns the Christians, Be on your guard, stand firm in your faith. Paul was aware of the perseverance needed to stand firm. He knew that there were struggles and doubts and difficulties that would seek to topple our faith. And so in Galatians 5, Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Standing firm to Paul means staying free. It means holding on to the truth despite whatever's going on around us. It means we're convinced deep down right in the core of our being that Jesus is alive And because he's alive, we can know freedom and our lives can be changed. So as we speak about our faith, some will say to us it's foolishness. Others will say we're arrogant. Others will think we're completely mad. Others probably won't even listen. And there'll be others who will be very pleased for us but not interested for themselves. Applying our faith in a world where truth is relative, where There are no absolutes where God is whoever really you want him to be. It's a real challenge, isn't it? So how do we stand steady? How do we stand firm? When our our friends see no harm in abusing their bodies with drugs or alcohol, when they see no harm in giving up on their relationships, on defrauding the tax man or cheating their boss, how do we choose to stand firm? I was thinking perhaps persecution for us doesn't come in outright harm as it does for many of our brothers and sisters even today around the world. 
But how do we stand firm in that subtle digging away at what we hold to be truth? Well, Paul's confidence is in the truth that Jesus has risen from the dead and that that changes everything. That's his mantra right through the the book of Acts. That's his mantra. That's his motivation. Jesus is alive and that changes everything. You see, Paul is completely devoted to a person, to Jesus, not to an ideology or a religion. He longs for others to know a relationship with God, the living God. That's the truth that keeps him strong and standing firm. It's the truth. It's his own story that he shares. Paul's convinced of his calling. He's confident in his story. But also, finally, there's a really important phrase, I think, that unlocks the most vital and important way that's standing firm and sticking in, and that's in verse 22. And he says to Agrippa, But I have had God's help to this very day, and so I stand here. But I have had God's help to this very day, and so I stand here. Paul has found that he needs to be and is completely reliant on God. Paul understood the ordinary people bit. He knew that he was not able to face these powerful, influential people that he stood before on his own. But he also knew that he didn't have to. And here's the secret, the secret to being a person who can stand firm and stick in for the long haul, who can be a lifetime follower of Jesus, sharing this extraordinary mission of God. It's the secret of tapping into the resources of the God whose mission it is anyway. So we began by talking about athletes and their ability to stand firm and stick at training, even in the middle of a pandemic. Paul holds this tension of our responsibility to stand firm in our calling, to stick at it, at sharing our story, with this total reliance on God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, he, in his gospel, he says to, he records Jesus talking to his disciples and saying, When you are brought before the synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you'll defend yourself or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. I wonder, as Luke was writing um, his account of Paul's story in Acts, I wonder if he remembered those words of Jesus, the Holy Spirit will teach you at the time what you should say. Brothers and sisters, we have the Holy Spirit. We don't have to do this on our own. When Jesus invites us into his extraordinary mission, he promises to be with us always, even to the very end of the age. To draw this series and this message today to a close, I wanted to finish with some words of Paul that he says to the Philippian Christians. It's a way that he sums up his life. He talks about a race, but he talks about how he stood firm, how, how and why he stuck with Jesus throughout his life. So I'd like to sum up, really, this series and what God has been saying to us in the words of Paul when he says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And then he says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on. I stick in, I keep going, I stand firm to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What a life Paul lived. What an example for us to live as those who stand firm despite the difficulties, the struggles, the oppositions we might face and stick in at sharing our faith, pressing on towards that goal of meeting and knowing Jesus face to face. Let's be this morning convinced of our calling. Let's be confident of that story that Jesus is alive, that experience we've had of ourselves, of the risen Jesus. But let's remember, as we stand firm, we don't do it on our own, that we are completely and utterly dependent on God. Shall we pray together? Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for Paul and what an example he is to us of somebody who didn't, didn't ever give up, that he sought to shine for you, to speak for you, that he sought always to share you with those that didn't yet know you. Father, give us that same heart. Give us that same passion, we pray. Set our hearts on fire again for the good news of the gospel, we pray. Help us to keep running the race, to keep pressing on. Father, we pray, would we be motivated by your love, your love that has changed our lives, that we might seek to share your love with others. Help us, Father God, to stand firm in all that you're doing in our lives, in the message of the gospel, in the risen Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.